Amen. Y'all can be seated. I wonder in this room if any of you found yourself at a place this week where you felt maybe a little empty, weak, at the end of your rope, in desperate need of spiritual help. I found myself there a time or two this week, and and we all do in this life. There are several responses uh, that we can engage at that point. Uh, One is to deny it. I'm I'm good. And just press on forward in our own limited power, not tell anybody, paste on that plastic smile and pretend like everything's all right. The second is to admit I have a need and then to go to the wrong place for filling. God told His people Israel in the Old Testament they were guilty of that at times. Jeremiah 2.13, He said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, we can look to meet our needs in, in improper ways. Sometimes it may be people-pleasing to avoid t- the tension of a situation. Uh, sometimes it may look like becoming a workaholic to avoid a challenge at home. Sometimes it may mean looking to alcohol or, or drugs to anesthetize that need. The third response we can engage is to admit the need and to go to Christ. To go to Christ first and, and foremost for answers and filling in our emptiness. We're going to see some different responses from people to Jesus today in our passage. Some people who had spiritual needs. And I've got to tell you, before I even begin get into this passage, I told my buddy Matt Crosswhite, this is one of those passages where if we weren't going through a book of the Bible, I would be tempted to veer around this one, just being honest. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to aim to do what Paul talked about, to preach the whole counsel of God. That includes when it makes us rejoice. It also includes when it makes us squirm. And there are some things in this passage that made me squirm, may make you squirm as well. Just a heads up. There is some encouragement to be found in here as well. So hang with me. This all began with a question from the disciples. We know Jesus is teaching in parables about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, we talked about the sower and the seed and the soils. See some parables to the crowds. And the disciples have a question for him in Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? These earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Why do you do that? Why, Jesus? Why do you speak to them in parables? His answer has several parts, and it begins in verse 11. The first part of his answer I'm going to summarize is this. There are two groups, the givens and the not givens. Verse 11, he answered them, To you, disciples, the twelve and some more, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Some translations say mysteries. These are things that can only be known if God will reveal them. 
There are spiritual truths that can only be known if God reveals them. That's why we so desperately need the Bible even today. He said, to you, disciples, it's been given to know those mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, those others in the crowd, it has not been given. So you see the two groups, right? The givens and the not givens. And you can see why this gets uncomfortable, right? The the disciples, let's talk about them a little bit more. They're those who admit their need and, and they bring their empty vessel to Jesus in faith and say, I need you. I trust you are the Messiah. Sure, at times, Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. It wasn't always great faith. And we're thankful to hear that because sometimes we find ourselves there. But they had faith. And he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The others in the crowd, there were many who denied flat out their need for Jesus. In fact, they they rejected him. As the Messiah. We've seen that recently in this book from some of the leaders. You don't do miracles by the Spirit. You, you do them in the power of Beelzebub. To them, it has not been given. They don't know the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Two groups. Second point, his parables had a different purpose for each of those groups. Verse 12. For the givens, the purpose was that they might be given more truth. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. The parables would reveal to those who had even more. I like the way one man put it here. According to heaven's rule, for those who had, further progress was assured. An advance in knowledge, love, holiness, joy, etc. In all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. For salvation is an ever deepening stream. Some of you know that vision from Ezekiel 47. Of the deepening stream. Every blessing is a guarantee of further blessings to come. I want you to hear it from the Apostle Paul. To the one who has more will be given. Just a few short verses in Romans 8, starting at verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He says, hey, the salvation process begins, it will complete. He will carry you, believer, through all of it. And he goes on. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You hear Paul's logic there? He's saying God front loaded this with his son. How is he not going to follow through with all the rest that you need to reach the finish line? To the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. For the not givens, they will be taken from. Jesus' own words here. He says, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. They would hear a a parable like we went through last week. and, And all they would hear was a cool story about a guy sowing seed 
and soils and plants growing and nothing more. There were people in the crowd for whom that was the case. And did you know there's a similarity even today as you and I go out there and share the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul puts it. 2 Corinthians 2.15 He says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Two groups, right? To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. You know why Paul's talking about aromas there? He's referring to a common event in, in that day. A victorious king or general would come back to the empire after a victory. And there was a parade and often there was an incense burning. And you'd smell that incense. And depending on who you were, that, that was a wonderful scent or a horrible scent. If you were a citizen of the kingdom, a follower of the king, it was reason to rejoice as you smelled that. We've, we've won. The king has won. But if you were a prisoner of war in that parade who had been conquered by the king, it was a smell of death as you approached your coming execution. Do you understand what we're getting at here? That the good news of Jesus is only good news. If you will receive it. If you will believe it. Parables had a different purpose for each group. Third point. I want to talk more on each group. Because maybe some of us are hearing this and saying, why would Jesus, 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 why would you take this approach? It's uncomfortable. Why Jesus? And I want to talk a little bit more about the two groups to answer this. First, I want to say, what a tragedy when we think about the not, the not givens. A devastating tragedy. Look at verses 13 through 15 and keep this in mind. This context is important. He had already given much in the way of straightforward teaching about who he was. So had John the Baptist. He had already done miracles many times right in front of their eyes. Straightforward teaching, straightforward action, and yet many had made a choice to reject that straightforward teaching. That's context here. That had already happened. Jesus says, verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Then he's going to quote from centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And listen to this. And their eyes... They have closed. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Matthew emphasizes their role in this. Their eyes they have closed. Just like the people in Isaiah's day who would not listen to the prophet Isaiah. Their hearts were dull. 
Some translations say their hearts were fat. Well, what does that mean? Scholars have broken it down. Their hearts were inattentive. They were stupid. They were insensible. They were earthly and sensual. You take all that together, that line, their eyes, they have closed. And I take it to mean there were many that did not want to see what was right in front of their eyes. You you ever seen a kid that doesn't want to hear something from his brother or his parents do this? No, 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 I can't. I can't see you. I can't hear you. No, no. That's some of the attitude I see among some in the crowds. Matthew emphasizes their role in this. Their eyes, they have closed. Mark, on the other hand, emphasizes God's role in this. We're going to see the balance. We're going to see the balance. In Mark, as Jesus talks to the disciples, chapter 4, verse 11, he says to the disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside... Everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive. It was their role and there was God's role. See what I'm talking about? This being uncomfortable. But this is not the last time this will be the case. Listen, as we near the last days in Christ's return and we look to the Antichrist, I want you to listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Do you see the human role? But it goes on. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. How many of us hear this and we look at these two instances and our first thought is harsh. It's humanly. Somebody's peeling that in here. I want to remind us of a couple of things. The Holy God is not obligated to save anyone. Not even one of us. Nor is He obligated to continue to pour truth time and time again in front of a hard heart. He tells even His followers, we're not obligated to that. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. As hard as this teaching is, some have even suggested that there is mercy in this approach to the unbelievers in those crowds. Because you remember the passages where we talked about for some it will be more bearable on the day of judgment than for others. And how in those instances in the book of Matthew it came down to how much knowledge they had because to whom much is given, much is required. So some have suggested by switching to parables with those who would not believe instead of giving them more straightforward 
facts about who he was, they would have less suffering and their eternal judgment in hell. Perhaps there's even mercy in this approach. But we can't argue with the fact that this is a tragedy. The tragedy of the not givens. It's heavy. If you have a heavy heart hearing that, I think that's a right response. I don't want to shift gears here from a tragedy to a blessing. What a blessing when we talk about the givens. And if you're in that group, your eyes have been opened to who Christ is. You've received Him as your Savior and Lord and found eternal life in Him. I want you to ponder these words. He looks at His disciples, verse 16, and says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Do you realize how blessed you are if you do see, if you have heard? That Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You think about that. You go through your Bible a little bit in your mind. Guys like Abraham. David. A gal named Ruth. Isaiah. Jeremiah. They... They only saw dimly and from a distance things that you and I see clearly. This side of the cross and resurrection. What a blessing. As you think about those two groups, the not givens and the givens, I think it's important that we maintain biblical context and, and look at God's heart of salvation. Do you remember what is said in John 3.17 as Jesus talked to Nicodemus? That God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's why He came. And yet John goes on, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I think we even see the Savior's heart back in verse 15, the second half of that verse. Remember that part where it says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. I hear Jesus' heart breaking as He says, says those words with those in mind who who would not believe. I see His weeping eyes later weeping over Jerusalem for the destruction that came because of its rejection. Because there are two groups. You look at those verbs there. There are those who see, hear, understand, turn, and they find healing and, and salvation in God. But there's this other group that will not see that will not hear, will not understand, will not turn, will not be healed by God. And we would be remiss to not ask the question this morning, which group are you in? We got a crowd here. 
Yeah, it's Sunday morning. I know it's church. But I believe there are still crowds that gather these, these days that fall into these two groups. Which do you fall in? Do you have a hard, dull, calloused heart this morning that refuses to see and hear and understand your need for the Savior? What do you do if you're saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit's lighting me up right now. That's me. Cry out to God. Part of why Christ came was to offer a new heart to those in that predicament. Listen to the prophecy in Ezekiel 36. God's words, verse 25, He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Cry out to the merciful Father through faith in His Son, the Messiah. New Testament, Paul says it this way. He knew it firsthand. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're in that first group, cry out to God before you step into eternity. Are you in the other group? Are you a disciple? The one who brings or has brought the vessel of your life to Jesus and say, I need you. I trust you are the Messiah. I come to you for, for my need. So what the disciples did, even when it came to understanding the parables, later on in Matthew 13, we see in verse 30, 36, it says, He left the crowds, went into the house, and His disciples came to Him, saying, hey, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And He answered, that's what disciples do. They, they ask their teacher questions until they understand what he's getting at. So the parable meanings would only come to those, listen, who cared to ask the Messiah, what did you mean by that, Master? They cared to ask Him what it meant. They, they cared to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Say, what are you teaching me here? And He told them, and I believe he would have told anyone who came and asked him that question with a genuine heart. Because it wasn't just the twelve. Let me ask you something. Do you still have questions? I do. Are you still bringing them to the feet of the Savior every day? Taking them to Jesus, opening the Bible, praying, saying, Jesus, help me through this. I want to say keep it up. Questions are not a sign of weakness. I think we're in more trouble when we stop asking questions. And we think we've arrived. I heard from a guy this morning. talked about preparing for a study. And there was another difficult passage in Scripture. And, and as he's studying through it, he said it was three years of diving into the Bible and saying, God, what is this saying here? Looking at this passage, looking at this passage, three years. And as he talked, part of what I realized was it was about so much more than just an answer to him. 
that three years with the Savior saying, teach me by your spirit what you're saying here, there was a relationship that was growing. There was a relationship that was growing. And as we close, I want, I want to talk to those of us who are disciples of Jesus. We made that initial choice to bring our empty vessel and say, I need you. I want to encourage you to keep it up. Because in order to grow in our life as a disciple, that's a daily reality. Jesus, I'm coming to you again. Help me with with this situation. John calls it abiding in the vine. Chapter 15. But I want to go to Peter as we wrap up. Because if there's ever a guy who knew about the ups and downs in the walk with Christ, and that's part of why we love Peter, it's Peter, right? We have our own. And it wasn't even just, you know, before the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we see it there. We, we see the complexities of a human walking with Jesus, right? Like one moment he's calling him the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says that was revealed by God to you. And the next moment he's, he's rebuking Jesus for, for saying he's going to the cross. And Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan, right? Satan's working through him at that moment. And then, of course, the denials. The denials. But even after the Holy Spirit, you remember decades later, he's trying to bring legalism back into the church. And Paul's like, Peter, come on, man. You're off track here. We, We relate to Peter. He knows about the ups and downs, about growing in a walk with Jesus. He talks about it in his letters to the church. I listen to Peter because he knows about growing. Right. First Peter two, verse two, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Last Sunday, Carolyn and I got to go see little Paxton, who was born last weekend. Beautiful kid, eight pounds, 19 inches. Now, let me tell you something. If we go to see Paxton 30 years from now and he's still eight pounds, 19 inches. We'd be right to assume there's something not right here. <laughs> Listen, I want to say the same is true in the Christian life. We're not called to bring our vessel to Him one time and then stay at that point in our walk with Him until we get to heaven. If, if I'm sitting here this morning and I'm at the same place in my walk with Jesus I was ten years ago, I am missing out. If 10 years from now, I'm at the same place I was this morning, I am missing out. There's a growth that he invites us to. I think of the hunger he calls us to. And this isn't just at the beginning. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you still hungry? You still hungry in your walk with Jesus? we got to be like the kid after second service. I was over having that conversation about that Bible study I shared with the three years. And this little guy walks up and he had this serious look on his face. I thought he had a prayer request. And I, I looked at him and said, you need something? He said, can I have a donut? I said, yeah, you can. Go ahead. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Can we have that kind of hunger and willingness to ask Jesus, Jesus, I need to grow. Help me. I want to grow more like you. Don't lose that that hunger. One more passage where Peter talks about this growth. And we'll close here. 2 Peter 1, if you have your Bibles. 
I'd invite you there. Second Peter 1, verse 3. Peter says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we just sit back passively till heaven, right? No. No. Watch where he goes from here. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through the knowledge of Him, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. How well do you know the Savior? How well do you know His promises? And He's not just talking about up here. Satan could care less if we have them all memorized. He probably does. He's talking about knowledge that finds its way from here to here. He's not just talking about knowing the promises, but turning to them when we find ourselves at those empty moments. I'll tell you one that he kept bringing me to in my own this week. Isaiah 26, 3, I believe. I think I got the reference right. I know the verse because I was clinging to it like to a rope. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And the Holy Spirit kept taking that and working it in my heart. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And he brought me to the yes. It took some back and forth and the yes brought peace. Yes brought peace. Do you know His promises? Have you chosen to believe them? It's been well said that promises are like logs on the fire of faith. Are you bringing them into your day in, day out life? But he goes on. Thinking about growth. Verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now some of us hear that word effort, we're like, What? Well, I thought faith and effort were opposed. That's a wrong understanding of the Bible. Faith and earning are opposed. But faith and effort can work hand in hand in the Christian life. It's what Michael Green calls cooperating with Christ, the Master. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he goes through this list. Listen to this. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. What's that? That's moral purity. Obeying God in the daily decisions of my life. And virtue is knowledge. That's knowing what God has revealed in His Word in a way that shapes your life. And knowledge with self-control. That's getting a hold of your desires and passions when temptation comes, choosing the the godly path. Right? And self-control with steadfastness. You know what that is? Keep on keeping on in spite of adversity. Steadfastness with godliness. Simply, that's behavior that reflects your Heavenly Father. Do I reflect Him to the people in my life? Godliness with brotherly affection. That's thoughtful consideration of the believers around you. 
So we've got that going on. And brotherly affection with love. That's agape, that, that love that seeks the welfare of others above our own welfare. Are you making every effort to, to supplement your faith with things like that? And I think part of what that looks like is that if I'm hearing that list and I'm saying, man, Jesus, my self-control got off the rails this week, or that brotherly love, man, I've been cold and selfish. We bring those to Jesus again and say, Master, I confess. I need to grow here. And I can't do it on my own. Please, by the power of your risen life, by the Holy Spirit in me, grow this in my life. Verse 8 says this, If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if we look at our lives and say, Man, lately, if I'm honest, I've been kind of ineffective or unfruitful. God, are, are there some of these, Jesus, you want to grow me? For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. God, I don't want to be there. Jesus, help me. Help me keep coming to you and growing. We think about this cooperation with God. I like the way Professor Barbieri put it. You auto guys are like this. It says the, the Christian life is like power steering on a car. The engine provides the power for the steering, but the driver must actually turn the wheel. So the Lord provides the power to run our lives, but we must turn the wheel. Think about this ongoing relationship with Jesus as Lord and us as disciples, will we grab that, that wheel in faith and a willing heart? Will we bring the vessels of our lives to Him and say, fill me and remember His promise as you do. Back in Matthew thirteen twelve, For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. Amen. Lord, I thank You for this passage. Uncomfortable Though it is, you never shied from speaking the truth. You never shied from speaking what's at stake in human hearts. We, we literally live on the brink of eternity. And I pray that if anyone in here this morning found themselves convicted, that I, I am that one who has deliberately closed my eyes to Christ, but I do not want to die in that state. Draw them to the Savior who died on the cross for them who rose again. May they receive Him as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. For those of us who, who came to Jesus some time ago as disciples, brought our vessel to Him and said, I need you, Jesus. May you encourage us this morning. That was the beginning, not the end. To daily realize you are there. We are not alone to sit at your feet, to learn from you, and to walk not in our own power, but in yours, to learn from you as disciples from our Master, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has promised an abundance in our walk. Lord, as we give this morning, may it come from grateful hearts. I'm a patient master 
who does not give up on his followers and carries through to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.